It's time for Mama Bear Donita on the Mama Bear Cancer Support Radio Podcast. Welcome to The Sharing Den, where we share cancer stories, products, and information to support anyone going through the journey. We will be there for you. We will be there with you. Now, welcome Mama Bear Donita. Hi, it's Donita Mama Bear, and today on the Mama Bear Podcast, we have Heather Stang, Heather Stang runs a company called Mindfulness and Grief Institute. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. So tell me about your, your, um, your institute and uh, how you got there. So the Mindfulness and Grief Institute is both an online and in-person, I'll say, safe space for people who are experiencing grief and loss to work through the intense emotional feelings that we have, the heartache that we have, and move from that space where we're totally devastated to a place where we can re-engage with our life and carry the memories and the love of our special person and pets into our own life as we move forward. And so a lot of what I do is online, but I also have a physical location in Maryland and I travel around the country. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. I'd like to come there one day. And, and, and I, uh, I, I recently, um, I, I saw your name when I was caregiving for my mother-in-law and, um, she, when we started caregiving for her, she was terminal and, um, I had never been through the death process before my, I mean, I, my father had passed away and my grandparents had passed away and, you know, maybe a friend or in an accident here or there, but, um, on the whole, I hadn't had a whole lot of experience with this type of situation. And I remember at the time thinking, um, I need to like reach out to people who, who kind of do this kind of thing. And I saw, and I believe you have a book. Um, I do. That's also called mindfulness and grief. So what took you to this mindfulness and grief Institute, um, starting and founding and writing your book. And I'm guessing it was personal experience. Yeah. As so many of us who work in this field, it's our own journey of love and loss that leads us to do this work. I mean, if you'd asked me as a five-year-old, what did I want to be when I grew up? I would have probably said a ballerina or an astronaut. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would not have said a thanatologist, which means (laughs) so that means I've studied death, dying, and bereavement. I actually have a master's degree in thanatology. Uh, And so I combine what I have learned academically and through research and through networking with colleagues with my own personal experience and my training as a certified yoga therapist. So my approach to grief and loss is very much rooted in uh, first dealing with the physical reactions that we feel because yoga and mindfulness can help us get back to sleep. It can help us listen to those body cues that become really drowned out by the heartache, such as needing to drink water, needing to eat. And then the heart of yoga and mindfulness practice, which is really about enduring connections and meaning making and carrying, you know, like I said earlier, carrying their memory through our lives, because as you probably know, you're caregiving. And then unfortunately the person dies, you don't forget them. The relationship doesn't end. It changes. The physical part changes, but 
you know, how often do we think about those people and animals that uh, are no longer physically here all the time? And you do it so in so much in a, so in a way that like with my mother-in-law, she's a hummingbird. My dad's an egret. Um, My great grandfather was a robin. Apparently our family is bird oriented. Um, (laughs) Right. A lot of wings there. But you know, yeah, exactly. But you know, um, that kind of, I know that when my mother-in-law was passing and we were down to the wire, like the last couple of weeks, I couldn't eat. So when you hit on the eating part of it, it's interesting. Like I'm a large person, like, you know, I'm five, nine. So I've always been a big, tall, you know, people are like, you're so big. And, and you know, that that's a whole different podcast, but you know, like, um, I remember thinking, you know, well, this is not a bad side effect. I was a little overweight at the time. So, you know, like the not eating, but interestingly, I believe it has changed something in me. So now when I have like, we just moved across the country from South Florida to Seattle and right before we started caregiving, my husband was laid off his job and he's still looking for a job. So we still have some of that stress that we had before. We just threw caregiving in the middle of that. And I've noticed that. So my go-to used to be probably why I was a little chubby to eat. Like I would eat ice cream or candy bars or whatever. And now when something is stressed, I, I like can't eat. It like flipped it. That caregiving experience flipped my eating, which I'm like, <laughs> torn. I'm thrilled because now I no longer dive into Snickers or whatever. But then the other end of it is like one of my friends the other day was like, you're a little too thin. I was like, okay, those are words that have never come off anybody's tongue as far as my body is concerned. So it's a really interesting, um, you know, way. So, so if I were to come to you and say, you know, Hey, I'm not eating, can you give me or in the listeners, like maybe like a one minute, like little tidbit, you know, or something like that, that might help them out. Yeah. So, you know, first is recognizing that grief is a big, huge, ginormous stress response. It is for most of us, the most stressful thing we will go through in our lives. And so your body does the things that it does when it is trying to flee the scene or engage in battle, what we know is fight or flight. we, we, we all know that, right? Everybody listening to this podcast knows that intimately. If you are a grown human being, or even like probably from adolescence up, you know what the stress response feels like in your body. Yeah. Yeah. And so the way I usually start with most of my clients isn't by telling them, um, okay, you need to go home and you must eat this, which I mean, that's not a bad idea. And I work with a number of nutritionists that can help people with what to put into their body. But I help people slow down and even stop that stress response by through meditation and yoga. So doing something as simple as focusing on your breath, you know, for a few minutes can slow down the stress response. Now, sometimes when we are grieving or when we've experienced a trauma or a loss, or even if you're not grieving and you have a lot of anxiety, sometimes telling people to focus on their breath is just not doable because either the breath is kind of hard to grasp or some people feel more anxious when they turn towards their breath. So there's a a neat little trick you can do where you find a word or a short phrase that resonates with you. And this could be rooted in your religious or spiritual tradition, or it could be aspirational in nature, um, such as the word peace or relax. Uh, It could be something 
neutral kind of like a color like blue or a number like one. I like to use the neutral words, by the way, because if I'm really upset telling myself to relax as my meditation can become more like a dip, like relax, Heather, relax. And, that, and then I become, a, I fight with myself and right. does that reduce stress? <laughs> no, we've just created more stress. For some people that works. So I like to use one, the number one is my focus word. And I'll just spend a couple minutes and each time I exhale out, silently say to myself, one, 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 over and over again. Now, the first time I had a teacher tell me to do this, I thought they were nuts. I was like, wait, so I'm going to sit here for a few minutes and just say one, like forever. Well, what happens usually for most of us is pretty quickly, you're going to forget your word and you're going to start thinking about either what's bothering you or what you need to pack for lunch for your kid tomorrow, wherever your brain goes. And we all have our brains drift, right? Well, what the instructions for this type of practice are is don't beat yourself up when your mind wanders. Just start again when you catch yourself drifting. And just doing that for a minute or two can signal to your body that you're safe and it can turn off that stress response. So by doing little things like that, your digestion can start working again. You know, your body cues can start coming back online where you realize, oh, I am hungry or, oh, I am tired. Yeah. And like, kind of like in that judge-free atmosphere towards yourself. That is the most important piece of all of it. You nailed it. Like judgment-free, both in the meditation practice, if that's what you're doing, or just in the judgment-free zone of, I'm not hungry. Because yeah. the, re the reality is in the early days of grief, you know, weeks and maybe even months or however long, you're going to have all these uncontrollable reactions in your body. And the, the, it's not going to be helpful if you beat yourself up for the things you can't control. Right. And that is a really hard lesson for a lot, especially for me. You know, um, I'm, I, I think your upbringing, just a lot of different factors factor in as far as like your ability to not judge. I will say that the younger kids, like my, my, my kids age in their twenties, they're pretty good at that judgment free thing. Um, you know, I don't know if it, they're a product of like my age group of hearing it too much or, you know, or they just finally were enough, like, or they just don't have the mental bandwidth to really care. I don't know. Like, but you know, like there's kind of like, we've made them so busy that they're just not even worried about judging. Themselves. That's one approach. <laughs> Lessons on, um, you know, ballet, musical instrument, writing and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But yeah, no, I, I am. Um, and, you know, I, I think grief, you know, like my dad died 10 years ago. He died very suddenly. Um, and so, it, you know, the shock of that and then dealing with my mom and getting her where she, you know, if they were out of town, I had to get her back. And my brother lived out of the country. I got him back. And, you know, there's just the two of us. And then, you know, um, it's just kind of a, it's, it never goes away. You know, 10 years later, you find and you you make statements like, Oh man, I wish Paul was here to hear that no that knows Nick had a good job or man, I wish he'd know that they went to university or you know just whatever it is. And I'm realizing as as time goes by and I have more experience with grief that that's just a way of I think it's just a way to continually work through it when you say those comments like out loud, you know like 
oh, I'm so sad that, you know, they don't know this. And then somebody will say, oh, they know they're watching over you. And you're like, yeah, true. And it's a good mental release too. You know, just that whole process of grief. And, and I just want to clarify with you and make sure I understand this. I don't think grief has the timeline. Is that true? That is so true. It does not. And of course there are people who, you know, you're, we're all going to run into those people who think there should be a timeline for yeah. grief. Um, and it's your choice whether you educate them or not, but yeah. know for yourself that it's not the time that passes. Time just passes. It's what you do during the time that helps you assimilate the loss. And it's not that grief has an end point. It's just the texture of it changes. So like in the early, you know, I don't even, I don't, don't even like to use the word of period or, or anything like that. And as early, we'll say acute grief where the symptoms are constant and strong and overwhelming and you don't want to get out of bed. And when you do get out of bed, you just want to curl up and cry if you're a crier or if you're somebody who doesn't want to uh, cry, maybe you just want to go to work and keep busy in that, that early texture of grief, things happen like constantly. Yeah. But then, like you said, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you haven't forgotten them and things in your life are going to happen. And, you know, I know for the, for the young ones out there, you know, or any of us who have time span ahead of us that we're going to live, whenever big events happen in our life, when the anniversaries of their death or their birthday or our birthday or a promotion or graduation come around, we're going to remember them. And that's not only normal, it's healthy. Well, good. There's even a word for that. It's called continuing bonds. Oh, I love that. And, and the idea of continuing bonds is that we stay connected to our tribe, you know, to our people, to our loved ones throughout our lifespan. And it's people who are able to maintain those continuing bonds, which is a little different than obsession, right? There's a continuum that you can have where you just totally block them out. And you're like, I will never think of them again. And you're trying to deny their existence. And then on the other hand, you would have where um, it's all you think about, which is normal early on and even for a few years, oh. um, you know, but where that's all you do and you can't function at your job or in other social settings. But there's no point where we say, well, this many months, you know, you should be here because we know it's different for each person. And, and again, to stay in that judgment-free zone is so, mm -hmm. would be so beneficial. If, if somebody wanted to um, find out more about your program or understand more about what, what you do, how would they get a hold of you? If you visit the mindfulness and grief websites, mindfulnessandgrief.com and is spelled out. So mindfulnessandgrief.com right there on the homepage there is a navigating grief guide. It's a free PDF. And it's basically a summary of the mindfulness and grief system that I created. So how to move forward in your loss experience, how to move from that place where you need to do the repeating the word and just gather yourself and nurture yourself to a place where you can start to re-engage with your life and maybe even volunteer. That's a really helpful place for people to start. And it not only has, you know, my commentary, but I put guided meditations in there. So you cool. got a lot of, a lot of goods and there's some journaling prompts too. Because and you have a, 
a pod- podcast, right? I do the mindfulness and grief podcast as well, oh. which you can access from mindfulnessandgrief.com or wherever you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, um, do you have like, uh, you do speaking engagements and things like that. Do you have a schedule up? Do you work one-on-one with clients? What? Yeah. So I do have a schedule up. I also run an online mindfulness and grief support group called awaken. And I called it Awaken because when we first, when that loss first hits us, we're in this real thick fog. And so my first goal is to kind of help you acclimate to the fog and then emerge from the fog and really awaken back to your own precious life while keeping their memories close. So a lot of people find that helpful because you can be anywhere and you don't have to leave your home. And we, we meet um, online once a week and there's a lot of online resources with Awaken as well. I do travel around, the schedule is up and I can do one-on-one consultations with people as well. And all of that is at mindfulnessandgrief.com. Oh, fantastic. And, and quickly, um, we're almost out of time, but tell me what, why you went down this path? Oh, so when I was just seven years old, my uncle, my mother's brother, Doug, died by suicide. Oh. And you can trace that moment, you know, with a, a lot of, of course, side tracks and twists and turns to this moment right now. Yeah. So yeah. I do this work in honor of my family. My father's brother had also died when I was an infant. So I had two parents who were bereaved siblings, four grandparents who were bereaved parents. And that changes your whole upbringing. Um, So I've always been comfortable with the uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because it's always, you know, it's been a part of my life since I was very little. I wish none of us had to go through this. It doesn't mean I love grief. I don't. (laughs) I wish none of us had to go through this heartache. But given the reality that we do, my hope is I can provide Um, some tools that will help people learn how to take care of themselves. Um, And what we find is that when we learn those coping tools through grief, it helps us with everything. It helps us with uh, caregiving our children, caregiving our parents, work stress, everything. These are tools that can be used for whatever challenges you face in life. Right. I mean, I agree. We've unfortunately, you know, not my family, but my dear, dear friends, we've had several suicides and um, those are tough waters. I mean, any death is a tough water, but it, the suicide just seems to really just really grab you and, and, you know, um, has caused me to look inward a lot, you know, and to, um, I was suicidal. It's it. um, I wrote a, I'm a, one of the 19 authors in a book called the lemonade stand, um, and it's from sour to sweet, inspiring women's stories of strength. And um, I was suicidal myself after a full hysterectomy. I'm sure it was um, hormones and I toppled with um, uh, over-the-counter things that I put all together that just later on I realized it says, you know, it can make you suicidal. So, I mean, like, I love to say it was the drug's fault, but at the end of the day, it was my mind. So, you know, um, you know, that whole, having been in a suicidal thought process myself, when actually gone to the beach and was going to, I was kind of in a trance. Apparently I was going to jump in with a brick and drown. And then something woke me up and I realized I was at the beach and I was physically there. So it was just that whole episode. And it's funny, people don't want to talk to me about it. They're like, we're, no, you're, no, I don't want to talk about time when, when you were crazy. I'm like, I wasn't crazy. 
that's how I really felt. You were hurting. Yeah. Were hurting. Yeah. And, and it was just like, um, it's weird having been on that side and, and understanding the, that you were a niece and look where it took your life. Like, right. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't your parent or like a child. It was your a niece. And I'm not saying that's not important. It's just that you're one removed mm-hmm. and it still changed all the outcomes. And, and, and what if I had really, well, I wouldn't have drowned because I was a really good swimmer. Um, but you know, like what if I had committed suicide? How, who would I have hurt that I didn't know about? And that's just like these thought process that you go through and there it's really, there's a lot. I feel like, I don't know whether I'm older and I, read more and I know more people. So it seems more thing, but it just seems like suicide is really up or active. Yeah. I mean, suicide. And of course we have overdoses are, are just skyrocketing and these traumatic losses where people feel really helpless and the caregivers feel really helpless. And because we as a society don't have a strong, compassionate language to talk about. Like, you know, you saying people don't want to talk to you about your situation, talking about it shines a light on it and can help other people and can help them understand you. Um, That's what we need more of is that compassion where we understand someone who is suicidal or who is, who uh, dies from an overdose. They're not doing it to hurt the people around them. They're doing it because they hurt so bad. And if they're not allowed to speak their truth or aren't able to speak their truth, it's just going to end tragically. So thank you. I'm really grateful that you shared that story with me um, and with the listeners, because I think we need to know this and I'm glad you're here. No, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I'm here too. I'm glad it didn't work. Um, you know, but, and, and I, I don't want to end on such a sad note, but you know, like if you're in that mind space and if you are, if, if, if you know somebody or you're wondering if somebody or something brought you to listen to this today, take away that, you know, I did, you, you came out of it with some, you're, what you're sharing with everybody is fantastic Thank and yeah. life-saving. And- well, I wish my uncle were here. <laughs> He's not. And so I can do this in honor of him, which whether your loved one died by suicide or long-term illness or sudden loss, or even if it's not a death, if you're just dealing with your own loss of a job, a house, uh, a mental health diagnosis, a child who's received a diagnosis, those are all losses too. So be gentle with yourself and, um, and know that eventually, maybe not tomorrow or in two months or even in two years, for me, it took 40 years um, to make meaning from Doug's death. You know, it took me a long time to get to the place where I could help others um, know that could happen too. It doesn't take away the pain. Um, and, and I just wanted to mention, if anyone is listening who is, is suicidal, you know, reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline um, and, you know, reach out to somebody because I used to work on that and there are people who really care who are there to listen. True. Very true. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for being on. And uh, again, she's with mindfulnessandgrief.com institute. Okay. Let me say that again. (laughs) Grief Institute. And the website is mindfulness and spelled out A-N-D grief.com. And this is Donita Mama Bear. Have a fabulous day. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you for joining Mama Bear Donita.